I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. I just want to welcome you, Carlos Eustace, to the Ask Mindset podcast. We're just going to have a conversation. We're going to chat it up. We're going to connect. I'm going to learn from you. And I'm excited. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. Yes. People can't see, but he's got his headphones on too. He looks much more professional than I do. And we're going to just flow with this. Carlos is a professional sports anchor for Telemundo 48 here in the Bay Area. He has many, many things in his resume. He covered the 2012 and 2016 Olympics as the Telemundo associate producer, as a reporter social media manager. He's the Spanish broadcast analyst for the San Francisco 49ers. And I know I could go on and on. I think though, if you don't mind, I'm wondering if your proudest accomplishment right now is being a father. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think anything can can match that. Definitely. It doesn't matter how many cool events you've done. Definitely there's nothing like seeing that kid's face every day in the morning. Sure. I know his name is Charlie. How old is he now? Eight weeks. Wow. Well, congratulations to you and your wife. It's awesome. It's really, really great. On that point, what do you think professionally is something you're most proud of if you were to reflect? And there's lots of things I didn't say. So feel free to like bring in forward other things. People will be able to read about you. But tell me when you just sit and pause for a moment here, what is like one of your most proudest accomplishments professionally? I have two. Okay. The first one, definitely, I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer semi professionally and was called for the national team in a very short stint. Soccer has always been my life ever since I was like nine, 10 years old. So the day I got to be in the World Cup, my first, like the first match I got to cover, and I walk into that field and, and look up at the stadium, I started like, my eyes started tearing. Just because, mm. you know, it's like I was never going to make it as a player, but to actually be there and be able to leave a World Cup, like to me, that was great. And the other one, also soccer related, I got to cover the Women's World Cup in France in 2019. And going to that game between the USA and France in, in the Parc des Princes in Paris, having a full stadium and just the atmosphere and seeing the growth of the women's game and to be part of that, to me, that was also the other one that I would definitely put it up there. Definitely. That's so great. I mean, what you're talking about is that you can be involved in professional sports in other ways besides a player. Yeah. Right? That there are ways that you can, one can achieve a certain level of in their sport and you might be professional, semi-professional for some point, but then for reasons that we may or may not understand or in our control or not, 
that that ends. And so you're a great example of the way that you can still be a professional in sports, but not be the actual athlete. And it's crazy because it just happened by chance because it wasn't an immediate thing like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm going to go into, into sports reporting television. Like it was a long process to get there. I studied film in school. Okay. I thought I was going to direct the Avengers one day. That was actually my goal. <laughs> and on awesome. the side, I was coaching and I started coaching because my high school asked me to start coaching. That was also something I hadn't explored. And they asked me to stay as a coach. It was a great part-time job. I was going to start college. So I took it. And then I realized I love coaching too. And all of a sudden, two years later, I had somebody say like, why don't you combine them? That's kind of like where everything starts. I love it. I mean, I think people say sometimes that they by accident stumble onto things, but I don't believe in accidents. Like I think that there is people in our lives for certain reasons to see aspects of ourselves that we can't even see and to uplift us in ways that we don't even know we need that uplift. So I think that that's a cool story. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Mexico City, born and raised. I moved to Miami when I was 16 years old. I was going to turn 17. Did junior and senior year of high school and obviously college and started my professional career there. And I lived there for 13 years until 2017 when I got married. But I got married and I got a job in Texas. So we moved to Texas for a couple of years. And now we've been in the Bay Area. It's our third year in the Bay Area. Awesome. Well, we're proud to have you here. I hope you stay here for a long time. What brought you to the Bay? Was it another job opportunity? Yeah, I was a producer for eight, nine years in Miami. And then the same boss that told me to combine both things when I was leaving my first job, he's the one who told me, like, I think you'll be really good on camera. You could be a good sports talent. And that kind of like put it in there. And I started preparing myself. But I, I mean, he told me this when I was like 21, 22 years old. And I got the other jobs producer at, at Telemundo Network, which I still work with them. I love the guys over there, everybody who works there. And I started as a producer and I had a job for six, seven years, but I wanted to jump in front of the camera. So then I got the job in McAllen, Texas, and that was my first on-air on job. And then the position here opened. And since we're the same network, we're the same company, they kind of reached out to me and said like, hey, this opportunity, you want to explore it? And then that's how I ended up here. That's awesome. So please don't take this in any way than what it's meant, but you are guapo. I mean, like you're <laughs> actually much more guapo in person than you are in the pictures. You know, that I'm seeing like social media and stuff. So I can see why they wanted you in front of the camera. So, I mean, you can bring the ton of your voice and then your God given genes up in front. So I think it's great. I mean, again, I think they're lucky to have you as well. I mean, tell us about Telemundo 48. What is that and what are some of the work that they're behind? Well, we're a news organization. Most big networks uh, have local stations throughout, whether it's NBC, ABC, Fox, like Telemundo, Univision. We have local stations that cover local news and, and local sports in this case. So I'm part of two, where there's, it's me and my colleague, we're the two anchors who cover sports here in the Bay Area. And, and we're also very lucky because we're the only Spanish channel that covers sports in the Bay Area. So we cover everything from the Oakland Roots to MLS, NBA, NHL. Some 49ers. So it's a lot of work. It's really fun, but it's a lot of work. Yeah, no. And I'm grateful for the roots, the Oakland roots for connecting us, just kind of following each other. Oh, you're connected here. You're connected there. It's like really great to be able to do that. I know you had mentioned that one of the highlights was covering the women's team. Can you do me a favor? And I'm not going to assume that people who are listening are primarily English speakers or primarily Spanish speakers. 
But I would love for you to like, if you can, recall a moment or a series of plays or a minute or whatever you feel comfortable with of like, what would it be like to cover like a scene in Spanish and in English? It could be the same scene. Give us an example. Most of the time I'm a reporter or, or an analyst in this case. Oh, like, okay. like, like coaching background. So I'm not yes. necessarily the best play-by-play uh, commentator. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I'm not in charge of that. So it would be like, for example, the Alex Morgan goal against England in the semifinal. Of the How come I knew World. you were going to choose that? How come <laughs> I knew that? <laughs> it's like after it happened and you have all the emotion of the play-by-play, like, like string goal or so long, uh, then I would jump in as like, it's like, well, you can see how Alex jumps the line, gets behind the defender. That gives her a little gap. And then the cross from Megan Rapinoe is just perfect to her head. So she can just dribble down, or drill it down into the corner. And that's how the U.S. scores. And then, of course, the celebration, right? She had talked about during the week, the, all the problems the English team brought to her. And there it is, sipping her tea. Love it. Love it. And no, I was not asking you to do a play to play, by play. I want you to do what you do professionally so we can get a sense of it. So let's do that in Spanish, too. Uh, in Spanish, should have been like, vemos ahí la, la jugada donde Alex Morgan se le por, por detrás de la defensa y el pase de Ryan Rapino es perfecto a la cabeza de Morgan y después toda la técnica para ponerla en la parte eh, inferior de la cabaña de la, del equipo inglés. Y bueno, después la celebración, habíamos visto entre la semana que Alex había hablado del de equipo inglés, que se había quejado de algunas cosas del hotel y bueno, por eso celebra con eso, levantando para hacer el zip del té. Love it. <laughs> I followed some of that. I followed a little bit of it, but that's awesome. Thank you. I mean, I have to say this, that like part of it, it has to be, I know this isn't part of your thing, but let's do this together. Go! <laughs> G-O-L, go! <laughs> I'm terrible at doing it. You don't want to hear me, trust me. Yours is much better. <laughs> trust me, yours is way better than mine. Oh my God, we have to have fun. I mean, obviously, it's one of those things like we have the guy who's known for that. Yes, I know. Our master, Andres Canto, who's the legend yes. of doing that. So. I'm a poor substitute. I am a poor <laughs> substitute, but I just, you know, I like to have fun. So I have to throw that in there. <laughs> That's good. That's what makes us us. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I appreciate that. What is the favorite part of your day? Professionally, what's the favorite part of your day? Depends. I mean, there's... I don't always do the same, which is one of the things that I love about it. Sometimes it's just, you know, very hard news. Like we just cover what's happening and this is the news and this is what happened or here's the goals or here's how the Warriors score happened or something like that. But most of the time, what I really enjoy is going and doing stories and whether it's telling a story about something that might be something that people don't know. It's an example, like the Oakland Roots just came out yesterday with their new uniforms and there's all the symbolism around why they pick certain colors or that. I like that kind of story. Mexico, not long ago, changed the badge on their shirt. So there's a lot of marketing implications also why that was done. So I, those kind of stories are cool. And then obviously getting involved with the community when there's somebody who's on. I had this story with San Francisco Lens where one of the kids on their 10 team, they created these comics. And if you buy their comics, they donate socks to the homeless. Oh, that's great. I love it. So they've actually raised uh, like $20,000 just selling those comics and they write them, they draw them, like yeah, those kind of stories. I think particularly what I like about the job. I love that. And those are some great examples. And gosh, they're all great in different ways and so generous, I think. And 
honest. And I really appreciate all of that. Let's see. If someone wanted to, like you potentially, you were a semi-pro athlete and played through college and everything, and someone is coming up to that point in their life where it's going to end, what would you tell someone who might be an up-and-coming professional in your field? What would you want them to know now knowing you've been in it for so many years? What would you want them to know at the get-go? I think it's just not giving up on the idea and just being true to yourself. Like We all have things that we're really good at and some things that we're not that good at. And you have to be truthful to that. And I think what the biggest thing is, even if you're making it somehow, like even just a little bit, just don't believe that that's it. Like you're not the best. You're never going to be the best. You always need to keep running improvement and there's nobody else beneath you. Because I think that's kind of like where some things get lost. Like you start getting, you know, a little emotional. You think like you take things too personal and sometimes you got to understand it and see that you still need to grow and there's things that, that you still need to be. And also understand the business. At the end of the day, there's sides that it's how it is. And, and sometimes it's just business and you just got to deal with it, bite that bullet and keep on going. I love it. That's great, wise advice. And from a perspective that's been in the field for a while, you've been a player, again, high school, collegiate, a coach, playing semi-pro, and now as a professional sports anchor, producer, all of the things, covering as a reporter. How have you seen, if you reflect on it, the sort of way athlete mental health was talked about or represented back when you were younger and now how you see it from your perspective? I was obviously born and raised. And first, our culture was very like, boys don't cry. You know, you're not supposed to behave a certain way or say certain things. Or, And when you get into sports, then you're more supposed to be like the macho tough guy that can't handle anything. And if they hit you, you just hit them back and you don't say a word. You get a, through a couple of, especially back then, because now also the structure of the sport has, at least in soccer, has changed a lot because now you actually have proper age groups. Like if you're under 12, you're only between 10 and 12 years old. You're under 15, under 17, under 20. That did not exist when I was playing. So I was playing third division when I was 14 years old. And most of my teammates were 18 or 19 years old. So a 14-year-old kid does not think like a 19-year-old kid mm-hmm. or like an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I was involved in that group. So I feel like that made me grow up faster because there were certain things that I was exposed to that maybe other kids my age were not, but also helped me out a little bit on understanding how the world worked because there was, there was a lot of like social interactions where we didn't have the same socioeconomic background. And it was tough to see some things that these guys were talking about and just how they behave. And you had to blend in. And sometimes you were feeling like you were a little more sheltered. I came from a very united family where I had everything I wanted. So all of a sudden, like I was put in these positions and there was sometimes that you just had to hold back and be like, this is not something I'm supposed to feel because I'm going to get wrecked here. And you get out of that, you start growing. And then you realize like, I wasn't the problem, but the problem is that I was put into that environment. And then we seen athletes or at least professional athletes, we just see them as products, whether it's either you have performance or not. And there's not a, at least there wasn't a very integral part on like being that there were also people. And when you're developing a player, you're also in charge of their development as a person. So to think of just how they're supposed to them feel, like it's very narrow. And I feel like a lot of us who were still grown and brought up on that idea, on that mindset, still judge athletes a little bit through that, through that scope. And that's something that little by little has to be, has to be changing and, and needs to be understood that from the beginning, from the growth, 
has to be a little more integral than what we have right now. I appreciate that perspective a lot. I mean, I think you're bringing up culture, the time, like the time when you were younger, how things were organized, that being put in a certain environment without support about how to navigate that environment. That development is crucial on and off the field, not just as a player, but as a human. I mean, I know when my work with the Roots, we have guys as young as, you know, 16 and a half, all the way up to 35. And they talk about like where there's connection, where there isn't. And it makes sense because a 35-year-old's discussion about life is going to be very different than a 16 and a half-year-old's discussion about life and how they show up in their life, what their priorities are, what they're thinking about. My colleague, Nana Atakora, who I know you know, he talks about the same thing as you, being young and learning things from the older players, things that maybe he wished he didn't know Mm. (laughs) just yet or ever. And just what is that like? Like the growing up too fast process. And again, not having the support. You know, when I talk to some of the guys on the team now, one of my first questions is, have you ever talked with someone like me on their previous teams? Yeah. I mean, when I started those, there was very few people that were prepared enough to even do it because I feel like now there's also a specialization, right? Like for psychology, it's very specific. There's there's people that now are prepared to do it in a certain way and built for it. And that didn't exist. It was there was a couple of them just and most of the teams didn't have access to them. And it was still, you know, frowned upon, like, oh, am I really going to talk to them? And I was lucky enough that all that, I always had really good communication with my parents. So whenever I was put into these situations, I will actually bring it up with them. And they will, I mean, to the best of their ability, like, kind of like explain to me, like, what was going on. Or like, even if I was like uncomfortable to kind of like put me through that, beyond that, being uncomfortable and, and even put me in that position where it's like, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't want to do this, you can just, you know, just leave. But I like the sport so much that, I kind of like oversee that. It was like, well, at least my parents know what's going on. I'm not in a horrible position because at the end of the day, like my teammates didn't hate me or like treated me bad. Country, it was like I was sheltered even there because I became like the young kid on the team that could uh-huh. actually perform. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I became sheltered by them too, and that kind of helped out. But it's a very specific situation because there are some other people who break and they just start hating the sport and start hating everything because they're not lucky enough to have that that I have. Yes, I mean I think too. A lot of players, including on the roots, don't have the privilege or luxury to have their family nearby to help navigate. And like they've been away for so long, depending how old they are, and trying to keep those connections going. And like, whose role is it? How do we navigate it? Like, my siblings, it's like, like you said, like these athletes are humans. They're not just objects or pieces of meat to entertain us. There's a lot that goes on. They're complex humans. I think. This point about there wasn't a lot of people, like some of the guys on the roots say they maybe heard like a group talk, but never, as one of my players said, never one V one. But like, I think there's something to be said here that me, I've been doing the clinical work, the therapy work for over 20 years with other populations. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get hired by the roots or get on the USOPC clinical registry or the NFLPA's clinical registry because I had experience with athletes. I'm sound clinically. And then I can learn the culture of each team, each sport through further studying, which is what I then ended up doing. And I'm now pursuing the certified mental performance consultant 
certification through the Applied Association for Applied Sports Psychologists, which is only the performance side so on the field. So then you blend it, you blend it together. So I'm not a psychologist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which I've been again for so many years, but another time, another story you and I, Carlos, can have about it. But like the importance for me to blend the specialization, the training, the schoolwork, the coursework to be able to do both because I see them as both. I can't separate. I can't just see someone just as a human. I feel like my purpose and my passion is to serve them fully and holistically. A person and their athlete, the performance on the field and the performance off the field and do both. And I think it's rare even to not be a clinical psychologist or a sports psychologist to do this work. The roots welcome my perspective as a social worker because it vibes with the values of the club and Oakland. So there's still a lot to grow in the professions that serve athletes. It's newish. I think the sports psychologists that maybe you had interaction with or teammates only did on the field, mm-hmm. not them as humans, right? So I think we've grown a lot and I think we'll continue to grow. But now, what do you see? What do you see like when you are around the field, even covering FIFA, the Super Bowl, World Cup, all the events that you have as a professional? What's your view or your, the way that you're able to see it from your perspective, athlete mental health? Well, one of the things that nowadays, like even the conversation I have with, with a lot of the athletes, when you interview them, I try to do that. Like I try to relate to them as a person. Like I try to leave, even though we were, sometimes we we're going to talk about what's going on in the field. Yeah. Just on the actual like first approach is to, for them to understand that I see them as more than just the guy that's going to come and give me quotes. And that approach has worked for me in general. And now I have a really good relationship with a lot of athletes, uh, whether they're Olympic athletes. I mean, I developed some good relationships, in, and especially in Tokyo, because Tokyo was so mentally tough for a lot of the athletes because they were, they were locked for the whole Olympics when they're used to like going places and doing stuff. And I will go interview them and they will stay in chat. And I'm like, don't you have somewhere to be? And they're like, I'm so bored. Like, and you're the first human interaction I had all day. And I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. So we kind of develop that, that relationship with them. We started talking. So it's really important nowadays to acknowledge that you need to be well in all areas in order to actually perform. Because otherwise, and us as media always put that pressure too, right? Like you see somebody not performing on the field and you have all these conjectures and ideas of why it happened, but you don't really know what's going on. That's right. That's right. That's very interesting about your experience in Tokyo because not only were they were in a bubble, right? Their family members couldn't come or it was minimal of who could come as part of their support system that they've had the whole time while they're training for eight years, whatever it might be for, depending on the athlete, to be there and still, again, put them in an environment without the support that they're used to having. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big ask, right? I mean, it sounds like you became one of the supportive relationships that some of the athletes had. Yeah, it really did became that. I mean, I saw them only once, but then like, since they were actually allowed to be on social media, like sometimes like they're following posts, like they're way to seeing outside of what they were seeing in front of them just for the, the rooms and their competitions was kind of like seeing what other people were doing. And that's kind of like how we communicated. It's like, oh, it's so cool that you went and did such and such and, or like you put a story that they did and they felt like they were a little more out there that they were just locked there in the room. Yes, yes. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, we know... COVID on the general population, you know, has impacted the mental health of everyone 
the isolation, the forced isolation, the lack of resources, maybe the adjustment in a job or leaving a job or being fired from a job, then into Olympic athletes experience needing to be isolated again is again, quite the ask. I think that part of strong mental health is having support and knowing that people are around you. And, you know, that adjustment is enough to, I mean, it's so much to have to adjust to while then also perform like you always have. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And again, we saw with Simone Biles, she was just not in the best of places and that definitely shows on, on your performance. And sometimes it's like, just also respect that that can happen. Like whether Naomi Osaka says it, or like, it doesn't have to be one of the big stars. Like anybody could have any doubts or not feeling well at that moment. And they're, you know, full right to say, I'm just not good. I'm just not good right now, mentally or physically or whatever it is. And that's their decision and should be respected too. Yes, I think if we talk about Simone Biles, as an example of you have no idea what they're going through. You know, there was so much behind the scenes in her life that impacted that particular week. Like the woman who raised her, actually, who is not her biological parent, died in that week. Mm -hmm. There was other things, other stressors, other human life stressors, you know, that she was dealing with that none of us knew about. And we're like, well, why is she like, just do what you usually do, entertain us. Like, give us something to cheer about, excite us. Again, that objectification when you have no idea. Naomi Osaka, the pressure to also represent her country in the opening ceremonies as well. And just all of that, it's just a lot. If there's anything else you haven't had a chance to say about what it means to you to be in the space you are right now, professionally and personally, what would you like to say? I would say that I think also in media how it has evolved, a lot of us also kind of lose track on the fact that it is important for us to be known and kind of have your own notoriety and, and your truth and credibility and be a face in the space. But we also need to not re- always remember that the job we do is always because somebody else and we will not exist if athletes didn't exist. So whenever we're like talking about an athlete, talking about a team or whatever implications that may have, we should always remember that we are talking about people. So that should always be our focus. And from that, we can get... And I feel like there's a way for us to respect that and still have our own truth and notoriety, you know, for saying that maybe not the right things, but at least, you know, saying things are compelling. I think one thing doesn't have to go with the other. Because nowadays, there's a lot of like clicks and just engagement and you don't care who's behind them, who you're like targeting. I think that's super important. I mean, interestingly, the whole dynamic too with Naomi Osaka wanting to take some time off was her interaction with the media. And I bet that they didn't, whoever interviewed her on that that series of events, didn't treat her that way, or at least she didn't feel like that. So I appreciate your approach. I mean, what you're talking is about, you're making human connections while doing your work that you can get notoriety for and the proper sort of validation for what you contribute. So I really appreciate you being here. All the best with Charlie and your growing family. And I appreciate your time and the space that you gave us today to share. No, thank you, Lisa, for the invite. And unfortunately, I know it's short. You can talk about these things and, and a lot of other like intricacies of everything that happens. Thank you for the invite. And you're more than welcome. We'll be seeing each other very, very soon with the roots. Thank you so much. I know you're very busy. I so appreciate your time. So 
all the best. We will be connecting soon. I'll probably email you a little bit later about some stuff, but like, thank you so much for being here and have a great rest of your day. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.